Welcome, ladies, Gorn, Bears, Chicken, and Things, to Episode 9 of Muppet Trek Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we are here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? That is The Muppets and Star Trek. We have been doing one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight, we're covering The Muppet Show with special guest star Lena Horne and Star Trek original series episode, Dagger of the Mind. But first, we have some feedback from our wonderful listeners. Uh, first, we have a couple this time around. First off, from some kind of Garf. You know him. You love him. He's back on YouTube. Number one fan. Number one right fan. here. <laughs> so he's going to talk about the episode eight. Our Peter. Uh, sorry. Is Peter? Yeah. Peter Ustinov. Right? Peter Ustinov. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he says, I always, I always say this word wrong. Pedantry? Pedantry? Or pedantry? Pedantry? You know what it means. I know what it means, but I can't say it right. Pedantry. It's when uh, you're like, uh, you're, you're parsing words here, basically. So yeah, okay. he says, Pedantry, a very brief cameo in quotations, was Oscar's line, not Sir Usanov's. Ah, damn. You got me. <laughs> I, I forgot what that was in reference to. I'm glad you remember. <laughs> yeah, it's from Great Muppet Caper. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And he says, uh, while nobody Muppet has been me too, to my knowledge, I don't recommend looking up uh, later writer and emergency guest Chris Langham's recent doings. Do you know what that's referring uh, to? No, oh. but we'll look it up after this. <laughs> he says, separate art from artist at all. Uh, sorry about the downer trivia, but this seems to have been the episode for it with the Grace Lee Whitney horribleness and such. You're, you're right there. Yeah, there was a lot of bad trivia yeah. from the last episode. Oh, and, yeah. And since you mentioned it, I did the math. 86% of all guest stars sang. 90% if you count edge cases. He goes, it offends the amateur magician in, uh, musician in me to call what Sylvester Stallone did singing. <laughs> Uh, season one is actually tied with season four for most non-singing guests. Uh, that's okay. Yeah, that's right. Good information. Yeah, because I was wondering about how much would there be singing because a lot of it's just kind of aimless singing that's not related to the plot of the episode, kind of. Um, and he said, I didn't comment on episode seven because A, it was only uploaded simultaneously with this one, you derps. And that's my fault, guys. I uploaded the episode uh, seven to podcast, but I forgot to upload it to YouTube until the following week with the second episode. Oh, so some kind of Garf is a YouTube consumer. He's a YouTube consumer. I didn't consumer. realize that. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Uh, and B, anything I don't mention is top notch. Well, thanks, some kind of Garf. Appreciate that. <laughs> And well, then we have you. keep correcting us, keep <laughs> keeping uh, on my toes. Oh, yeah. And the extra information is great. Um, and from Daniel Peter Hitch on Twitter, he says, uh, been looking forward to this one. Peter Ustinov is one of my favorite character actors. Uh, by the way, folks, Daniel Peter Hitch is from the UK, so he's probably a little more familiar with the Ustinov's works than we might have been. Uh, he says, yeah, probably. Uh, he's a character actors, voice artists, and excellent anecdote teller. Uh, it's one of the few original Muppet episodes I've ever seen. Here is an audience with Yusinov. He, he linked a video on uh, Twitter of him at an hour-long uh, show, basically, of him talking to an audience uh. and that kind of thing. Um, he says, his ability to create a character from a twitch or a noise was always my favorite. Yeah, I can definitely see how he's really good at that. He just was really impeccable at all those impressions, so everybody go watch that episode if you can find it it's fantastic he, he ran with the muppets and that is something that not all guest hosts can say 
Yeah, he was like a human Muppet in his own right. Just he kept up with them, and that's not something everyone can, especially say. guy in his fifties at that point, and a, and a, a knight as oh, well. Oh yeah, sir. <laughs> yes. So for our episode later tonight for Lena Horn, the guest star. I don't know much about Lena Horn, but I recognize the name, and I have to say something before you even tell me about Lena Horn. Um, my sister is having a child soon, and she's going to name her Lena, and she did not even know about Aww. Lena Horn, but that's going to be the name of my new niece so i'm excited to learn about lena horn tell us about her okay well lena's namesake <laughs> lena <Yeah>. horn uh, <laughs> was, uh really a woman for all seasons singer dancer actress she started out in the chorus line at the cotton club in new york city and eventually made her way to radio and then on to hollywood and from there the rest is history hmm. she has dozens of movie credits did a one-woman show on broadway with more than 300 performances she was a multi-Grammy Award winner, Emmy nominee, and NAACP Image Award winner. Huh. Go figure. She was a lifetime civil rights activist, and during World War II, she worked for the USO, but she refused to perform for segregated audiences. Uh, she staged her own performance for black service members and German POWs. When, they, when the audience showed up, they seated the white German POW, POWs in front front of the black service members wow she was so outraged that she walked off the stage down into the middle of the crowd and performed to the black servicemen with the white pow's behind her the entire performance wow that's crazy so they basically were but what do we they were putting the uh the pow's in front of the black americans yes that's crazy (laughs) oh my god it's just nuts oh wow and she was not having it uh, and she she did right by by those those fine American servicemen. And I saw that she was born uh, in 1917, you, so she would have been like probably in her late 20s when World War II was going on. So, oh yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Um, but what do we know her from? The fact of the matter is, is that our generation probably doesn't have a whole lot of bearing on who Lena Horn is because, well, if you check out her IMDb page, she does have credits in our lifetime. A lot of them are very small roles. A lot of them are just a song of hers was used or she was used for background singing for something. Um, the one thing you might know her from is that she played Glinda the Good in The Wiz. Oh, okay. Um, but that's really my only very clear memory of Lena Horne. But aside from this episode of The Muppet Show. Right. I could see why they might put like the one white woman in The Wiz because she has an NAACP award. So that makes sense. <laughs> well, I think she was biracial. Was she? Oh, okay. I believe so. I couldn't Maybe really I'm tell wrong. from from just appearances alone. So that's that's kind of neat. Well, old TV cameras, you know. Yeah, you know, blows you all out. <laughs> so let's talk about the episode itself. Yes, uh, we start out with an act found that was found by George the janitor, Ragmop, where a bunch of singing Ragmops come out and sing a silly song about Ragmops. <laughs> we get the introduction of our backstage plot where piggy approaches kermit about her song being cut from the show kermit leads her to believe that it's because he doesn't want her to overshadow lena overshadow lena horn hmm. and she buys it kermit then calls miss horn to the stage and uh, a horn with eyes and a wig shows up kermit then clarifies that he means lena horn i love that damn joke <laughs> that was a good joke really creepy puppet great joke <laughs> Next, we have I Got a Name. Lena walks in with a dog and sits with her dog waiting for the train, singing a slower and more somber rendition of the popular song, uh, joined by an assortment of Muppets, and then walks off down the railroad tracks. Backstage again, Piggy approaches Kermit about them being together. Kermit tells her he can't be in a relationship right now. 
she is crushed and begins to wail. And Kermit then confirms that she's over overreacting, and uh, she agrees. <laughs> now it's time for a Muppet news flash, where a woman who has eaten nothing but seaweed for twenty years says that she finds herself going in and out with the tide twice a day. It's a quick, cute joke. Mm-hmm. We then find ourselves at the dance, where the best joke is when Piggy says her aunt has a chest that goes back to seventeen hundred, and her partner laments that it must be tough for her uncle. <laughs> It's also a very adult joke for this episode. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Zoot and Rolf do uh, a performance of a nice instrumental number with no gag. Sort of a rare occurrence uh, well, in the Muppet Show. And there was Ralph crying at the story. end, so it's kind of like, you know, a little bit of a gag. Yeah, yeah, but even that was just quick, and there was no, there was no laugh. Yeah, that's true. Really. Uh, afterward, we have a talk spot where Kermit and Lena are interrupted by Fozzie, who complains that he never gets to talk to the guests. And when Lena flatters him and recognizes Fozzie, he reveals that he doesn't know who Lena Horn is. <laughs> uh, and it was a cute moment, and I thought very nice. Uh, moving along, we get the Swedish chef attempting to cook spaghetti, which is continuously crawling its way off the plate until eventually it attacks him. Following this, Gonzo is attempting to perform Pop Goes the Weasel with a surprise that's just a balloon behind his back, which animal ruins by popping. Gonzo retreats to his dressing room after being booed off stage. Lena reassures him, sings him a lovely song that I'm glad there is you. And it's a really sweet moment with Gonzo. Kermit tells Scooter he needs to be ruthless and merciless and cruel to make it in show business. Scooter then turns around and breaks it to Piggy that her number was cut because Lena Horn would make her look quote unquote ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Piggy chops the crap out of him. Fozzie Fozzie's act hit, hits the stage. He does an impression of a famous mime, Marcel Marceau, which involves him standing on one foot and then no feet and then collapsing on the stage. We get a quick cut with Lena missing her keys. Animal ventures on stage to help her find her keys but really he just hits her in the foot and she sings out a high note as she screams. Be flat. Be flat. Meanwhile, Piggy confronts Kermit backstage about lying to her. Kermit says, well, the truth hurts, which Piggy puts to the test by beating him mercilessly. <laughs> God. Finally, we get sing where Lena is joined by several Muppets to sing her favorite song from Sesame street. Sing at the final curtain. Lena tells Kermit to give Piggy a spot on the show. Kermit admits that maybe she will get to sing on the next episode. Mm-hmm. And that's the Muppet show. Yay. Well, then Piggy comes out and sexually assaults Kermit at that point too. Well, I le- she does that every episode. So at some point I'm going to have to stop mentioning it. And Lena Horn laughs about it while it's happening. Oh yes. <laughs> I feel like sexual assault has been featured in at least five of these episodes. And mostly time. by Miss Piggy. Mostly by Miss Piggy. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the music in this episode, because it was very varied. We got Ragmop, which was a gag song performed by the Ames Brothers. They were the first produced group by Coral Records, who then went on to produce records for people like Steve Allen and Louis Armstrong and Buddy Holly and Liberace. They were also one of the first musical acts to ever appear on the Ed Sullivan Show before it was the Ed Sullivan Show, and it was called Toast of the Town. Hmm. I got a name, famous song made famous by Jim Croce. The lyrics for the song by, were written by a guy named Norman Gimbel, who produced lyrics for many non-English language songs. So uh, Norman Gimbel is the guy you can thank for the English lyrics for the girl to Ipan- from Ipanema. Oh, 
Yeah. The music was composed by a guy named Charles Fox who wrote the theme song for the love boat. The love boat. Uh, You got the theme from love story. Love story was a 1970 romantic drama film. While this song began as an instrumental lyrics were later added and recorded by a popular musician named Andy Williams, who actually hosted the Muppet show, I believe in season four. My mother loved the movie love story and actually had that album with the the instrumental and the lyrics on it. Yep. Nice. (laughs) A love story also was Tommy Lee Jones motion picture debut. Really? Yeah. Huh. He wasn't the star. Uh, no, it was a minor role. Right. Uh, I'm glad there is you. It's a jazz standard from the 40s. It's been covered by everyone from Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, The Temptations, and more recently, Beyonce covered it. Go figure. Go and then finally, Sing, written by Joe Raposo, who wrote Being Green and the Sesame Street theme and C is for Cookie. This became a number three hit for the Carpenters and uh, was performed on Sesame Street many times, including in American Sign Language and Spanish. Um, and it's just a classic Sesame Street and Muppet song. Nice. So, Jarman, what did you think of the Lena Horn episode? Uh, it was a passable one. I, I just feel like I got kind of ruined by Yusinov, Um <laughs> Yeah. Because, and also the one before, no, not before that, because that was Florence Henderson. Um, just Paul the, Williams before that. Yeah, well, just the idea of the songs. I was like, excited about the idea of the songs being related always to the show. And they did that once with the Gonzo number. Um, so the Gonzo number came right for he gets off stage. He goes to her. She consoles him with the song and that fit right in with the the plot of the show. Now I like that a lot. Oh yeah. Um, but I was a little scared because the beginning, the first number was her and a random soft focus, you know, number having nothing to do with anything in the show. It's just her singing a pretty song and hanging out with the Muppets, um, which is fine. It was pretty. It was a, and I recognize the song um, once we got to the course, <laughs> but, uh, and also just Lena Horne's eyes are a bit scary. So the whole time she's in the show, like she's just, wide-eyed like staring at you you know and she's got big chompers too like just you know the, the, yeah, the teeth I and the feel like the, she's paid by the amount of teeth she is showing at any given moment on film <laughs> teeth and eyes just like that's what the people want lena just her and gary Busey just be there together but anyway i'm gonna host some upper show i wish gary Busey like host some upper show that'd be so great Oh, anyway, Kermit. Uh, so, <laughs> the, uh, I like the talk spot actually with her and Kermit and, uh, and, uh, Fozzie chatting out there. That was cute. It was cute. It was and also longer than a lot of the talk spots. It I was. Feel like. And I feel like it had a flow to it. So that's why it went a little longer. It wasn't as awkward as some of them can be. And I also like, she called herself. She's like, Oh, who are you? And she says, I'm, I'm Doris day. I thought that was kind of cute. Uh, <laughs> also because Doris day is my same last name. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and also just a lot of times it was beyond the chompers and the and the eyes. She was just really squeezing a lot of the Muppets the whole time, like just really pulling them close and like holding on to them for like the whole song. And I almost could see like the puppeteer like kind of struggling to get away from her a little bit sometimes. <laughs> it's like she was My really aggressive. Sweaty, Lena, please. <laughs> I know. So it was just a little awkward in that regard. So she felt comfortable maybe at the Muppets, but maybe a little too comfortable. Um so yeah, I'm, other than those weird kind of moments, um, there wasn't as many laugh out loud moments, but it was a lot of cute moments. And um, I think the whole episode might be worth it just for the the really corny, punny um, trumpet joke, the horn. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Horn. Miss Horn. I, I agree. This, this one falls sort of middle of the road for me. Yeah. I think they were smart to, because unlike Florence Henderson, 
where you were right. There's very a lot of similarities between like the set was just kind of there and it kind of could have been on any variety show. Right. The difference is Lena Horne can really friggin' sing versus Florence Henderson, which kind of passable. So I think they were smart to feature her. Right. Florence Henderson is more like a karaoke singer, whereas like (laughs) Lena Horne, Lena Horne, that's what she does. Yes. Um, So because of that, I really liked, I got a name. I agree. It felt a little bit slow and maybe felt a little bit too far from the original song. Yeah, because that song is actually much faster than that, so it, was, it did feel a little awkward at first. Um, I didn't recognize it I just love that, the that they, let, they let her showcase herself, and I thought that they, they, they were smart in doing that. Yeah, I'm surprised she didn't do more uh, dancing, but I guess that she's a little older at this point, so she wasn't doing a ton of yeah. dancing, but yeah, it was good. Uh, but my favorite uh, part of the entire thing was the opening number, Ragmop. I thought <laughs> that it was so... Not only was it shot well, the fact that the mops kind of disappeared behind each other and you lost track of which one was which and they all popped out <laughs> was a really cool visual and really showed what what Jim Henson's creativity could do with, you know, basically mops with faces. Yeah. And they must have had pull strings, I guess, in the bottom of them to control the, the mouth to opening. control the mouth. Yeah. So that's impressive. Um, but, but I thought it was really clever. It was a fun, weird song and it kind of fit in with the Muppets. I think that it just. It opened up really well for me and then maybe went downhill from there. It went down then back up again a couple of times. It wasn't. Yeah. So there's been worse episodes so far. Florence Henderson. Uh, and then <laughs> sing, sing is just was a great number to go out on. And it felt really nice for an episode to have an actual closing number because I feel some of them don't really have closing numbers. That's true. And also, actually, I really did enjoy the uh, Zoot and Rolf number just because it was like a just well-played song. They seem to be really into it. It was good Muppet acting, if that's a thing. I guess it is. Um, Muppeting? Good Muppeting? Good Muppeting. And so I, I was into it. Even though I was like, oh, this is weird. They're just playing the song with no words, no, not even the singing. But I was like, no, I'm kind of into it. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree. Middle of the road. I still think like Peter Yusnov was the best episode thus far. But who knows? Maybe someone will knock him out of that top position. Maybe. Or just join him at the top. That's right. And they'll wrestle. <laughs> wrestle. <laughs> All right. So does that bring us to our Star Trek episode? Yeah, Jarman, tell us about the episode we watched. All right. So now we watched episode nine, Dagger of the Mind. So we have the Enterprise, which is on a supply trip to Tantalus 5, which is a penal colony where the criminally insane are confined to receive treatment. And apparently, according to Kirk, these places are like vacation villas at this point. Um, And they try to humanely rehabilitate criminals instead of just punish them or fill them full of meds, that kind of thing. Um, The Enterprise is about to beam down supplies to the colony um, with a few lines from a terrible actor at the transporter pad, which we'll get back to later. Um, (laughs) He's just really bad, but there's a reason for that. Um, And once they establish the colony needs to take down their force field first, they're able to then transport the materials down. Uh, The colony, in turn, is a box they need to send back to the Enterprise to be sent to Earth for study. But once the box is aboard, a crazed man exits the box with a real craggy, gross face (laughs) and attacks the nearby transporter technician. Uh, It's like the third actor in a row in these episodes that had a nasty, craggy face. Um, He attacks many people, eventually reaching the bridge, and he demands asylum from the captain at gunpoint, well, phaser point. Uh, Spock subdues him with the Vulcan nerve pinch and they confine him and sedate him in the sick bay. And the crazed man painfully identifies himself as Simon Van Gelder, uh, which the computer finds out is actually the assistant of Dr. Adams, who is the head of the Tantalus penal colony. 
So we've fallen so far. All right. So they asked Dr. Adams, the guy down on the penal colony, who's very famous for being for the top of his field for this kind of thing, rehabilitating criminals. Um, and he tells him that this Van Gelder had used an experimental treatment on himself, and that caused him to be the way he is in his current state, being this crazed state. Uh, Dr. McCoy had done some examinations on Van Gelder, and he's suspicious of this. doesn't quite fit with his prognosis, so he convinces Kirk to go down to the penal colony and investigate. Kirk goes down to the colony with one of the ship's psychiatrists that McCoy assigns to him, which is Dr. Helen Noel, who apparently he had relations with at the last ship Christmas party. And now things are super awkward, along with her painfully short skirt. <laughs> which is a big thing that that was like the shortest uh was female it, was it a skirt i wasn't i couldn't tell if it was shorts or what? well there's a it's the full like the dress uniform for women it's a dress but then there's like um what do they call those things under your cheerleading uniform like a jumper like pantaloons under a- yeah exactly it's like yeah. big, big underwear basically um so after going yeah it was weird they get sent down to the planet um and they go down a very fast elevator, which surprised them. But they meet up with Dr. Adams, who is very gracious and accommodating. Good actor. He's just doing very well, uh, showing that he was very, you know, everything's totally cool down here. Nothing to worry about. Uh, but the uh, staff all seem very zombie-like and emotionless. So that kind of puts them off guard. It's very strange. Uh, Dr. Adams shows them around the facility and shows them the experimental device that he said Van Gelder was, was using when things went wrong. And apparently you sit in a chair and you stare up at the ceiling at a device called a neural neutralizer. And at low intensities, it just calms the patients, um, the ones that are violent and that kind of thing. But it can be very dangerous at high settings. You always need supervision while you're using it. But apparently Van Gelder didn't have supervision, so he it went wrong. Uh, Dr. Noel is satisfied with this explanation, but Kirk wants to investigate further, especially seeing all the zombie-like staff around. Uh, meanwhile, back in the ship, Van Gelder is more manic and frantic than ever, and he tells uh, Bones and Spock that their landing party is in great danger and that it has to do with the neural neutralizer. And it's very hard for Van Gelder to tell them this because as he says the words, it seems to cause him pain just to say those words, just to get them out. Uh, so Spock decides to mind meld with Van Gelder, and this is the first mind meld we have in Star Trek ever, which is pretty cool. Um, to wow. find out the full truth and the full story from Van Gelder, but also to calm him down. And he finds out that the neural neutralizer can completely empty a mind of thoughts, or it allows Dr. Adams to implant thoughts and control the mind of his staff and inmates. So with Kirk not knowing any of this down the planet, uh, because the force field doesn't allow constant communication with the ship or allow them to transport back and forth, uh, Kirk decides to test the neural neutralizer with Dr. Noel. So he sits down in the seat and uh, he tells her to try to implant a memory in him. And she does. He, she implants a memory that he actually uh, went home with her to the Christmas party and things went well. Uh, but right as she's doing that, Dr. Adams comes in and he subdues her and turns the neutralizer up to 11, basically on Kirk, and convinces Kirk that he's now in love with Dr. Noel for years and that he would be lost without her. So he then confines Kirk and Noel to their quarters uh, they wake up, and Dr. Noel escapes into the ventilation ducts under orders of Kirk to shut down the power to the station so that the force field can go down and to shut down the, the neutralizer. Kirk is taken in for another neutralizer session, but before it gets too bad, Noel shuts down the power, and Kirk attacks Dr. Adams and knocks him out with a big chop, like he usually does, uh, leaving him alone with... Man, there's a lot of chops. <laughs> there's a lot of chops. Uh, leaving him alone in the neutralizer room, uh, Dr. Adams on the floor, uh, basically. 
And with the force field off, Spock is able to beam down to investigate. Uh, he disables the force field, restores the power to the facility, uh, which reactivates the neutralizer at full power, killing Dr. Adams. So then Van Gelder was healed by Spock's mind meld. So he's now put in charge of the penal colony and he destroys the neural neutralizer. Everything's back to normal. And there's the episode Dagger of the Mind. So, yeah, a lot of stuff happened in there. Hope you followed along with that. Um, <laughs> so much stuff. Yeah. So a little bit of trivia we have for this episode before we get into reviewing it. Um, the part of Helen Noel, the uh, sexy psychiatrist, was originally written for Janice Rand. However, as we learned from last episode, um, the, uh, the producers were trying to, to avoid showing Kirk becoming involved with just one woman. And also Grace Lee Whitney, the actress who played Rand, was already on the verge of leaving the show because of the sexual harassment she had received from the an executive at one of parties. Um, and in any event, from a dramatic point of view, it made more sense for a trained psychiatrist rather than a yeoman to accompany Kirk to the Tantalus Rehabilitation colony that made more sense and so here's the yeah, part that's true yeah and here's the part that made me uh i noticed uh, i'm glad the trivia explains this because james Dewan and george decay do not appear in this episode scotty and uh, scotty um uh, sulu and scotty um scotty appeared in the original script operating the transporter in the first scene and when van gelder is being aboard his appearance was nixed by bob justman the producer who said this is a way of saving costs by eliminating Duhan who would have been paid $890 for the episode and replacing him with a random performer, the guy who actually did it for a much lower salary. <laughs> so basically they kicked Scotty Those off because he, he would have been paid scale and they paid some other guy, a much lower salary. Who was a terrible actor. And I noticed it right off the bat. I was like, who is this guy? He's awful. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is the first episode that had the Vulcan mind pinch or my mind meld <laughs> mind pinch would be something completely different. Uh, first episode to establish that the transporter cannot penetrate a force field, which is important to pretty much the rest of Star Trek canon because uh, hmm. you need to drop shields before you can transport someone aboard. That's why they can't just uh, transport a. Oh, um, I know that from the movies. You're right. Yeah, like you can't just transport a warhead onto a ship because then, you know, there's shields blocking you, basically. And the last little thing here, uh, during the filming of this, of this episode, William Shatner was pulled away from the soundstage and rushed to recording studio where in two takes, he recorded the famous Where No Man Has Gone Before monologue, which had been written uh, several times by different writers. Uh, he read the first take flawlessly, but associate producer Rob, Bob Justman felt it should have a subtle echo. So he had the sound engineer create it for the second take. So he did two takes and it was done and they played that for the rest of the series. And now it's iconic forever. Um, wow. So that was during this episode. It's pretty cool. So what did you think of this episode, Steve, after all that nonsense? All right. So the things I liked. Yes. Uh, I. This is the first time in all the episodes thus far where the mystery and the inciting incident didn't feel forced. Oh, okay. It felt really natural. I love the, like, they're at the penal colony. They're sending supplies up and down. Someone snuck aboard. Oh, it must be one of the, one of the insane people. Right. Oh, it's not one of the insane people. It's one of the doctors. <laughs> and just then, then the mystery unraveled really naturally. And I feel like that is something that not all the other episodes, in fact, maybe none of the other episodes have really had. True. Are they kind of it felt really times, good for yeah. opening up the episode. Um, I feel like in all the other episodes, I could kind of see what was happening. And this was the first time that I was genuinely surprised. <laughs> That's great. 
<laughs> it was great. It was such a good thing. And it, it, it shows that maybe the writers were finally finding their footing and finding out how to do the cold opens. That's um, true. I really liked it. Like a tease. Uh, and then Van Gelder himself was excellent and acted the living hell out of it. Yeah, he was chewing the scenery uh, a little think- bit, but yeah. This is one of the times where that 60s style of overacting really worked (laughs) and wasn't a hindrance. Like his desperation and pain were just magnificent to watch through the whole episode. Oh, can I say on that note, that's actually fun you mentioned that because that actor mentioned in an interview, uh, it was the first thing he ever did acting wise. He's in his like 40s at that point that got him out of just doing Westerns. Because after this episode came out, uh, people saw him. He could do other things besides being in Westerns, and he got a lot more of their jobs. And so this is like this is a turning point in his career. So it actually did work out for him. Another thing I really liked in this episode was that you really got to see more range out of Spock. Mm. uh, Mostly because the vehicle of the mind meld gave him more to do. That's true. And because he was echoing the emotions of the person he's linked with, he got to show more. Uh, and then I also liked Looky Lou Spock at the end when he walks in on them making out. <laughs> looky like that looky, that looky gives he gives Kirk was just great. It was a great moment, and I got a little giggle out of it. Oh, and that's not something I can say for a lot of these episodes. That's true. <laughs> yeah, Looky Lou Spock. Uh, things I maybe didn't like as much. Uh, why are there so many kicks in the future? <laughs> People kicking like, is that part of yeah. Kirk kicks the phaser from the guy's hand. Van Gil- uh, Noel kicks a guard. <laughs> Electrocuted. I just feel like there's a lot of weird hand-to-hand combat in the future. <laughs> I feel like because this was late 60s, it was just the start of Bruce Lee's being so famous. I think everyone just wanted to be cool like Bruce Lee. I think it's probably what it was. Um, and I feel like they really played it thick in the two with Dr. Noel. There are 400 people on this ship mm-hmm. there's no way that kirk d- didn't know that that was the dr noel he was going down with before he got to the train well here's how i would defend that is that bones is very um, there's just no way and it felt so forced well i feel like that's uh, the, as on purpose because i feel like he he gave a look to spock and he said bones better damn well she better damn well be the best assistant ever had tell bones that uh, because he, I think Bones did it on purpose because he knew that he had had a fa- an affair with this woman and he wanted to like stick it to Kirk just to like, you know, make him uncomfortable because they're friends like that. That's kind of how it felt because he said that one line to Spock and I was like, oh, it's because that aspect was fine. My issue was, is that Kirk played surprise when there was no reason for him to play surprise. Well, he's surprised because there's more than one psychiatrist in the ship. There's a lot of them. But there's only one Dr. Noel that he slept with but they didn't tell him it was dr noel until he saw her there in person they did they nope, did they did i re i rewound it to make sure oh I was never like, mind really? <laughs> yeah so that's the i thing. didn't realize it, that if it was it was a bigger ship or bigger population i could at least suspend disbelief that he didn't know who she was but in a ship of 400 people everyone knows everyone well i guess they're or they're playing the thing that he doesn't know her last name he just slept with her didn't even know her last Mate. name I mean, maybe, and that could be exactly what they were going for, <laughs> but it just felt like, come on. It wasn't clear. <laughs> come on. <laughs> you knew it was her. But no, I, I think that the angle of Bones, like sticking it to him was, would, would, is perfectly acceptable, even in this situation. Right. Yeah. Those are sort of my big issues overall. There was a little bit of confusion as to like what the mind 
Ray did. But even in this, my issue, some of the other episodes that they don't really explain. And if anything, they, they really, really explained what the machine did. Yeah, that's true. You know, like it shortens brainwaves and suppresses them and then fills you with emptiness. And then in that emptiness, you get lonely and then you'll take any thought that you can get your hands. Like they were very clear and expressed and I was very proud of them for that. Must have had good writers this one. <laughs> but no, overall, good episode. Maybe not my favorite thus far, but still fun. Yeah, entertaining. Didn't lag too much. Uh, Dr. Noel had some of the most extreme dimples of every any living human being I've ever seen. They were life. adorable and very deep, yes. <laughs> they were just, yeah, they were like someone cut her in the face. <laughs> <laughs> they were so deep. Um, so, Jarm, Jar, before we move on, I, I've got some questions. Mm-hmm. So there was a line um, from the doctor on the planet. Uh, you feel as naked without a weapon as we do without a med kit. At this point, is Starfleet portrayed as much more militaristic? I actually remember hearing that line be like, oh, I cringed a little bit because I feel like they haven't gotten that far into where uh, the writing where they're not a military. And that's to kind of reiterate that to new races they encounter. We're like. Well, you guys all have phasers, like obviously in uniforms, you're military, right? Like, no, we're an exploratory uh, diplomatic organization uh, that just happens to have protection because it's dangerous out there. But yeah, at this point, they it's not that clear probably to the writers that they need to write that in that, oh, they're not militaristic. And that's so maybe not even the writers knew quite the direction. Yeah, I don't think they got into that at that point, but eventually that's not what Starfleet is at all. No. Okay. And then does Kirk ever get suspicious when people tell him to come down to a planet and not bring anyone <laughs> uh, like, i feel like this is the fourth time where they're like captain you should come on down bring minimal crew <laughs> like you think that he would have learned at this point that that's a suspicious so i feel like it's a spoiler almost to say this but uh in the begin, the very first episode of Next Generation, which because you know, like twenty years later, almost, mm-hmm. uh, Captain Picard is about to go down to a planet on like the first episode, and Riker, his number okay. one, says, "No, you don't go down to the planet. That's against protocol. I will go down to the planet. You're the captain of the ship. You stay on the ship." <laughs> and it's like everyone at home who, who watched the original <laughs> series would, would be laughing their asses off because they know exactly why they did that because. Everyone would made fun of how, why is the captain always going down these missions on a 400 person ship? So they finally do change- going down, going down alone yeah. or with <laughs> minimal security. Exactly. <laughs> like- so next generation does get more creative with why the captain would be involved directly with things. But usually it's people eventually come back onto the ship and talk to him in a diplomatic fashion and that kind of thing. But he sends down away teams and they use more of the, 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 the crew of the show to do those missions. Uh, but you're absolutely right. It's it gets lampooned a lot. It's like, why is he always down there by himself or just with Spock? Like send a whole like a uh, company of people down. You have 400 people on the ship. So yeah, that's very common. Well, I think that my more suspicious part is that this is the third, I think the third time where someone they've made contact with has suspiciously said like, don't bring anyone though. Oh yeah. Like the doctor says, just, just bring just you, you and you wouldn't. <laughs> and what was her name? Oh my God. I'm losing her name. Uh, Noel, Nurse Chapel. Noel and Nurse Chapel. The other like, same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bring a minimal security crew. You can trust me. I'm <laughs> reputable. I haven't talked to anyone in years, but I'm reputable. I'm your hero or something. Get down here. <laughs> I'm so your fiance. You 
<laughs> Don't you want to marry me, Kirk? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's very true. Uh, okay, well, good good question answering there. I like it. <laughs> well, I think that takes us into some Trek connections. Did you find some this time? I only have two, and they're pretty loose. Uh, in 1990, Nichelle Nichols performed Go and musical review called Reflections, in which she performed musical numbers from a bunch of, of female musicians that kind of shaped her career and shaped her life. Oh, cool. And she did a number from Lena Horne and dedicated a number to her. Uh, and in an interview later, she said that Lena Horne and Eartha Kitt really shaped her passion growing up. Oh, I see. I can see that. Uh, additionally, she was friends and played tennis with Teddy Jones, who was Lena Horne's son. Oh, random. <laughs> uh, but those were the only, despite the fact that Lena Horne was very much in this like same, you know, maybe her fame was waning at the time the Star Trek came out. I was kind of couldn't find more. Right. Especially with the weird random connections you found in the uh, past. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. So I was a little bit blown away, but no, those are the only two connections I could find both through Nichelle Nichols. I see. So I think we have some similarities now for these episodes. Yeah. So I've uh, got three. Oh, I've only got two, but I'll, I guess I'll, you go first. That is, you got three. I'll go first. Uh, Fozzie doesn't know that he is talking to Lena Horn at the talk spot. Just like at first, they don't know that the crazy guy is Dr. Van Gelder. <laughs> Good connection. Mistaken identity. So both episodes feature more than one karate chop. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. In Star Trek, both to the neck and it knocks people out somehow. That doesn't make any logical sense, but hey, we're going with it. Uh, Dr. Noel kicks a guy and so does Miss Piggy. <laughs> uh, both feature someone lying to someone to try to keep the status quo and it backfires for them in a violent way once the truth is revealed. For, Ooh. for the doctor and Captain Kirk, uh, the doctor, um, yeah, that makes sense. I forgot which doctor I was talking about. Oh, the doctor on, on the planet, like doctor. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah. And then Kermit and Miss Piggy. So he keeps that truth from her. And then it, once it's revealed, it's violent afterwards. Uh, both feature women who are put off when their bosses try to set professional boundaries with them. <laughs> I love that. These are always like so existential and philosophical. It's so true. It is. They might as well be the same show. I mean, it's, it's almost identical. It's uncanny. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. What's that noise? I don't know. Whoa. Transporter Ooh. malfunction. Transporter malfunction. <laughs> so this time of the show where we always uh, take one character from one episode and move them to the other episode. And vice versa. You get the idea. So, <laughs> yeah, so for, for me, for the uh, Trek character coming over to the Muppet show, I said Lena Horne could come over and replace Lathy, who's the first kind of zombie character they meet on the planet. Yeah. Uh, she just stares. So I just think it would work where like Lena Horne comes in. It's like, I love my work. And then just opens her eyes real wide and bears her teeth. <laughs> That'd be terrifying. It's like a horror film. I love my life. <laughs> I love my life. <laughs> Up show podcast. Okay, and so. then she would be gone, and we'd never see her again. So that'd be all right. <laughs> uh, mine's almost similar in a way. Uh, Lena Horn would take the place of the terrible transporter chief. Uh, her overacting and wide eyes and chompers <laughs> would be hilarious and out of place in that small role. That's true. <sighs> it would be just 
is distracting just in a very different way. <laughs> oh, Captain, uh, I forgot that I need to turn off the force field first. That's how Lena Horn is now just Gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> of course she is. Those giant chompers. Uh, and then from the Muppet Show over to Star Trek, uh, I thought that one of the rag mops could come over and replace Dr. Van Gelder <laughs> and just be just crazy wild hair and a big flapping mouth. I can't go back. Rag mop. Rag mop. So I had a GGMOPP Bragma. It's a catchy song. Uh, I'd have uh, Dr. Simon Van Gelder, uh, the crazy guy, to replace Animal on this episode, who runs around and ruins more than one thing on this episode of The Muppet Show, uh, popping balloons and other things. So he's that would be great to replace him with Van Gelder. Hitting Lena in the foot. Yes, that was the one. So yeah, that worked <laughs> out pretty perfectly. <laughs> All right, well, good, good transporter malfunction. So that brings us to the end of episode nine of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for episode 10 of the Muppet Show with special guest Harvey Corman and original series episode, The Corbomite Maneuver. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us, live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>